Fridays. Hey, Jennifer, thank you for meeting with me. Oh, I'm happy to do it. Happy yeah. to do it. I'm here with Dr. Jennifer Shepard Payne, a research, research scientist and clinician. Uh, she's the coordinator of the Acceptance and Commitment Therapy Clinical Services Center for Child and Family Traumatic Stress at the Kennedy Krieger Institute, or at least, at least she will be soon. Um, and she's also the assistant and an assistant professor of psychiatry at Johns Hopkins School of Medicine in Baltimore. Thank you very much for sitting down with me for just a little bit to talk a little bit about um, yourself and some of the, the, the new upcoming things that you've got uh, coming up soon. I appreciate oh, it. Sure. My pleasure. My pleasure. Yeah. So I know that you have a book that is soon to be released, and I do want to get to talking about that book and and uh, let people know all about it. Um, but why don't we maybe kind of start with some general questions? Because I, I know you just professionally from uh, our work together at the ACBS, um, the DEI committee. Mm-hmm. We're, we're both in that one, and then we're both the co-chair of the ACBS DEI SIG as well. Right. Right. So we, 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 we meet at least once a month and talk about <laughs> businessy stuff, but we never talk about anything else. Yeah, um, that's true. I know that you recently moved across the country to, to start some of these new positions here. Yes. Um, why don't we go yeah. all the way back? Like, where are you from? Where did you grow up? Sure. Um, so I, I grew up in Los Angeles and back then they called it South Central Los Angeles. I think later they changed the name to South Los Angeles. I'm not sure the reason why the change, but but yeah, I was um, born and raised in South Central Los Angeles. But um, even though you know that has a terminology, I guess that's attached to it. I happen to be um, from a pretty basic middle-class family, two-parent household. Um, You know, we had a big um, house, about five bedrooms. And I, I I really, I hadn't moved anywhere. Like, like when I was born, that's where I grew up and I moved, I moved nowhere um, in junior high, high school, I stayed there. So, so, you know, I pretty had, I had a pretty stable environment as I was growing up. Yeah. So you were born and raised there, South Central LA. Yeah. Wonderful. Mm-hmm. And um, I guess you went away for college. So uh, at the time of college, I had made, you know, made a choice uh, between UCLA or USC. So I put, um, I put um, applications at both of those. Mm-hmm. And, and really, I put them at both of those because they were, you know, close to the house. I really, I hadn't really thought about leaving to go outside of um, California. Mm-hmm. I was staying close to my parents at the time. And so um, I got accepted to both places. So I had to make a decision on USC or UCLA. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, kind of embarrassingly, I chose UCLA only because of the colors. Um, oh, so, really? It was really like blue, blue and gold, as opposed to maroon and gold. So <laughs> that's yeah. how I chose. <laughs> yeah, it's fine. I think a lot of people do that. Yeah. Um, well, actually, let me, let me even pause there because I want to know, uh, even like you, know, you, you were, you were assuming. I'm assuming you were set on going to college. You had a couple options there. Mm-hmm. Um, when you were growing up, like as a child, what did you? 
kind of want to be? How did you imagine your future looking? Yeah, that evolved over time. So when I was eight years old, um, I, I was first introduced to science and I fell in love with science, but really it was more that science that eight-year-olds do, like, um, you know, uh, just putting putting things in into cups and mm-hmm. you know, putting baking soda together with other things and things like that. And so, but I got really intrigued by it. And um, my parents were kind of lean, not lenient, but they 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 kind of helped to nourish me a little bit. So I asked for uh, to have a lab in in the garage. And so I had kind of like a little science lab in the garage where I was like mixing things and pretending like I was a scientist. Um, When I turned 12 and 13, I no longer wanted to be a scientist. I wanted to be a writer. Mm. And I started doing writing poetry, creative writing, short stories. And, and in fact, one of the, uh, the, the, the poetry, uh, one of the poems that I created got accepted in a national anthology at the time. And so I really was like serious about wanting to be mm-hmm. a writer, but my parents were like, no, no, you're not going to be a writer. You can't make money that way. Yeah. Well, we would prefer you to like go back. Like we want you to be in science. And, and really it was more my father who wanted me to um, kind of go into science. So, um, so when I was in high school, I did a lot of science. I did. Um, I kind of like gravitated toward physiology in in high school, mm-hmm, and then mm-hmm. um, I got accepted to UCLA as a biology major. But um, yeah. sadly, I hated. Like I yeah. like when I actually got into college and I actually started taking biology classes. I hated them. Um, I went to chemistry courses, hated them, physics courses, hated, and I was like, oh my God, like, why am I, (laughs) what am I doing here? Um, so, um, instead of, instead of changing out completely out when, instead of biology, I switched to microbiology. Mm, Well, that didn't, that didn't help much. (laughs) I finally settled on psychology because, um, there was some sorority sisters, that um, were in psychology, and they said, "Oh, you should, um, you should like come over to, with us and take some classes with us, and, and yeah. be a psychology major." And and I I really loved psychology, like I loved like them talking about the mind, and so so that's what I got my BA in, and is in psychology. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah, <laughs> um, I had a similar trajectory. I, I the only reason I'm a counselor now is because I flunked out of chemistry. I, I was originally <laughs> a chemistry major, and I hated it. Yeah, yeah. As, I, as soon as I started, I was like, "Oh, geez, I cannot do this." <laughs> um, yeah, it, but psychology was um, sciencey enough for your parents. Um, the stamp of approval. I mean, he was. I mean, my father. You know, he he they. So back in those days. I think that they thought culturally that education was the the key, like education mm-hmm. was the way out. Um, it was it was the way to be successful, and so I think my father was happy that I got my bachelor's degree, and and even if it was psychology, it was fine. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Wow, that's amazing. So, so when you were a teenager, you were you were thinking you were going to be a writer. Um, for a little while. Was it mostly poetry that you were writing or was it like novels and, and things like that as well? 
No, it was it was short stories. Short story. It was poetry, creative writing. Yeah, I was doing a lot of creative writing. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And so, so you got the BA in psychology, which is also what I got. And then I remember, I remember very clearly uh, coming up to the end of my uh, bachelor's degree in psychology. And I kind of had to make a choice of like, well, what am I going to, what am I going to actually do with this degree? Right. I knew I needed to go further in terms of education. And I I remember distinctly like laying out like all the options, you know, Mm -hmm. on one end of the spectrum, there was like psychiatry and then psychology. And then there was these other groupings of like uh, counseling, LPC, uh, social work, yeah. LMSW, LCSW, and then there was uh, marriage and family therapy as well at that at that time, LMFT, mm-hmm. and so I had all these different letters basically to choose from, and I and I looked at them and I remember making a choice and saying, I just wanted to start working with people as fast as I could. Yeah, I didn't I didn't want to go through the 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 the, the, the lots of education that would be, would be required of a psychologist or a psychiatrist and. I, I made that choice just based on how quick are the programs going to be. Right. And that's how I chose LPC, but I could have very easily chosen to be a social worker. How, how did you, how, how did you come to be a social worker? Yeah. I mean, there were a few, a few kind of milestones that caused me to become a social worker. And, and I honestly truly feel like I'm a social worker in my heart, like mm-hmm. from the beginning, like, but um, when, like, after I got my, my my bachelor's degree um you know i worked in a number of jobs and and there was some summer jobs also that i i worked um while i was going to school and there was a particular summer job um where i was working at at a camp it was a um it happened to be a salvation army camp for disadvantaged children and i had the best time that summer i just felt so fulfilled. So, um, I just felt like, you know, wow, this, this, this feels like purpose to me because, um, I just felt good about being able to help, help the little kids age seven, eight, um, you know, go to sleep, um, you know, when they were anxious, wake up and, and, and help to, you know, educate them. And, and they were so, um, they were so grateful like for the opportunity. Um, and before that I had worked with some children that were not disadvantaged mm-hmm. and they were the opposite. So they were not, they were not grateful. They were, you know, so, so I, I think like that, that was like the start of me really just caring about like disadvantaged populations. I didn't know yeah. at the time what I wanted to do, um, whether it was social work or, um, and then I was looking at MFT, but, um, but but later on, um, I I got a job as a medical caseworker with um, L.A. County Department of Public Health, and I was there for a while. And um, I, as a medical caseworker, I had to have the knowledge of the resources of all of the whole community, pretty much, because you know we would have different people come in, and they'd had different situations, on you know uh, whether it was elder. Um, issues or child related issues or financial issues. So I, I, I really um, took pride in knowing a lot of the resources that were in the community. But I remember really clearly that my boss happened to have an LCSW mm. and she didn't hardly do anything, to be honest. She already, she always referred all of her clients to me. Mm-hmm. 
And I was like, well, why is she getting paid all this money? And I'm not getting paid, you know, half the, the amount that she's getting paid. And I'm doing like like 75% of this work. Mm-hmm. I said, I'm going to go back to school. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So that's when I decided I was going to go to school. And um, and I did really research it uh, between uh, like an MSW versus, um, you know, uh, some other type of um, degree. But, you know, I'm so glad I chose for myself social work because that's, it's, it's systems theory, it's person in situation. Mm-hmm. And I really um, kind of live my life like realizing that, you know, a, a person is much more than just their diagnosis. That like all the things that are environmentally impacting upon that person affects yeah. their diagnosis. Yeah. So, yeah. Social workers are like the original people to like, you know, uh, add the context in, into account, right? <laughs> exactly. And so I think when social workers discover ACT or these process-based therapies, it's just like, yeah, <laughs> like, duh. Yeah. We've been, we've been telling <laughs> exactly. you this the whole time. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so so tell me a little bit more about, like, the, the mission of, of social work, because you went on to get your doctorate in social work. Is that correct? Yeah, I have a, um, a PhD in social welfare from UCLA. Okay. okay. So, so, like, in, in what way is, is the mission of social work different from that of these other mental health professions, which all claim to be dedicated to the reduction of human suffering. Mm-hmm. You know, they, oh, all, yeah. they all say yeah. that we're going to do this thing. What is social work's kind of, you know, mission there? How is that different? Well, yeah, I mean, again, um, you know, one of the one of the key the key things about social work is uh, we look at the whole person um, rather than just the the psych the psyche you know and so mm-hmm. um, in in some of the disciplines um, they really focus on the psyche and 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 focus on you know not just diagnosis but you know assessment of the psyche and uh, and and we we look at that but we also look at other things as well um, and so there's a lot of individuals that are out there that think oh, social work, oh, that means that you take kids out of people's houses mm-hmm. or or that means that you uh, work at the welfare office. Um, but no, there's clinical social workers that um, that are able to do anything that um, any other type of um, licensed therapist can do. Um, it's just, again, I think that, that we really, um, we really hone in on you know, again, not just like what what is going on with this person, but what what what's impacting that person. So you might have somebody who's depressed, but maybe they're depressed because um, you know they like saw a a, a, a school shooting two two months ago, mm-hmm. or maybe they have PTSD because of um, something that happened in their family like three weeks ago. And I mean, the environment matters. So. Um, so yeah, I, that's 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 the reason why you know again I love social work and, and in fact, um, I'm really excited because I'm the very first social worker to ever be hired at Kennedy Krieger. And when I say social worker, I mean social work researcher. Mm-hmm. I'm the first social work researcher to ever be hired at John Hopkins and Kennedy Krieger. So I think what that means is that um, people are beginning to try to. To mm-hmm. think of these things in, in, a, in a broader way, especially when you start thinking and talking about, like, say, for instance, they have a, a, a new program called the Neuroscience, the Neuroscience of Social Injustice. Mm. And, and you cannot talk about social injustice without talking about the social piece. Mm-hmm. So, um, 
so yeah, so I think, you know, social work is, is excellent because it's a broad, um, really a broad field. Um, there's so many ways to, to impact suffering through social work. Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. I had no idea the first (laughs) social worker hired there. I think things are changing in terms of the value um, that these different professionals are are, kind of having in the the field. I remember even just me coming up, which is just like 10 years ago, um, there was like a distinct kind of hierarchy. Right. uh, And and everybody would just punch down (laughs) everybody below them. Right. And, and social workers tend to be on the bottom of that hierarchy a lot right. of times. And that's terrible. And, and, and counselors only one, one rung up sometimes. So, <laughs> uh, we we got to stick together. Yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah. So so you're doing all this wonderful stuff. And of course, you've got this book coming out, which uh, I'm so excited for. When is the, the release date for this book? Well, thank you. Yeah, I I was I was a little disappointed myself because I thought that the release date was going to be this year, but actually it's going to be next year. Because um, what's going to happen is they're going to um, do some um, promotion of the book. Yeah. Um, so it, it's it's through um, New New Harbinger Publications. Mm-hmm. So they're going to do some spe- specified pro- uh, promotion at specified gotcha. time. So it, it won't be until next year, but oh, but I'm sorry. I'm finishing up this year. I'm finishing yeah, I'm the book. I thought we, you know, I know we were we've been talking about it for a little while. Yeah, we were all I know. It's going to come out, you know, by the end of the year this year. Yeah, I wanted it too so badly. Well, so let, let, let's let's get let's use this time then to get a picture of the book itself, so people have a year to kind of stew and, <laughs> and get their get their hopes up, and uh, you know, really pounce on it when it does when it does come out. Okay, tell me, tell me about. Well, tell me. Tell us about the book itself first. We, we just say, we're saying it's a book. We don't even know what it's about yet. <laughs> Tell yeah. us what the book is and, and, and kind of how this idea, you know, originally kind of germinated in you. You know, mm-hmm. is this something you've been thinking about just recently or is it something mm-hmm. you've been working on for a long time? Yeah. Um, so, um, and I, I hope I'm not messing the title up because I can't remember it off the top of my head right now. But but um, but it's it's basically um, out of the fire Um and it's looking at um, acceptance and commitment therapy for Black racial trauma. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, so to answer your question, I've, I've been actually percolating an idea about um, like a model to help um, Black trauma like for mm-hmm. years. Mm-hmm. So it's probably been um, 20 years or so that... Wow. I had an idea for a um, a a program called Poof. So I got so in other words, I got the the name first, mm-hmm. and then but I but but the 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 specifics about the the program didn't come till later. Mm-hmm. But the the name um, is called Poof. Poof stands for pulling out of fire. Okay, and pulling out of fire is actually comes from a a scripture, um, and that scripture is Jude 22 and 23, that says, and of some have compassion, making a difference, others save with fear, pulling out of the fire, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. And, and it's not a, it's not like a Christian book. Mm -hmm. It's not necessarily a book that's focused on, um, spirituality, but, um, but, but that, what that, piece says to me is it says 
that some people just need like a hand up when when they're in the fire of of their life, the tribulations that they're they're going through. Somebody just some people just need a hand, but others they need actually somebody to help them pull them out. And um and so that's what the goal of this like program was is to to try to help pull people out of the fire and and so um I have been working on um like this model for you know, and like as far as the actual model, like the models start coming together probably about um, five or six years ago. Um, you know, when I, you know, and actually when I first learned about ACT, which is about seven years ago or so, I fell in love with it immediately. And I was like, well, how come I never heard about this before? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I was a little irritated because I actually taught um, intervention and evaluation class to master's social work students. And in that class, I'm teaching all the different like uh, interventions that are out there, CBT, you know, mm-hmm. a bunch of other ones. Um, and then a friend of mine, you know, just said, well, you know, what about acting? I was like, I don't even know what that is. So I looked it up, took a class, fell in love with it. And I was like, wow, this is a perfect model for um, some of our um, un, un um, represented populations as well you know um i mean it's 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 a perfect starting model let's put it that way and so then i began to start um kind of um tailoring it to like african-american trauma or Mm -hmm. especially after george floyd passed Mm -hmm. away that's when people started being more interested in the model that i have but yes yeah but but i mean i was working on it before that yeah we'll talk about that for sure but uh, I want to get into this idea. This model is percolating in you, and 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 this book is is the poof model with ACT as kind of like a backbone or um, just kind of an underlying foundation. Yeah. It's, so what what this particular book is? This is more of a book that the audience can be individuals who are hurting. So it's for um, the lay audience as well, right? Yeah. Okay. So it's it's geared more to the lay audience. It's not it's not like a, a necessarily clinical um, gotcha. book um, per se. Which that clinical book hopefully will come come later. But mm-hmm. but but this one it, it lays the foundation of you know how this how could ag benefit African Americans, mm-hmm. um, especially based upon like their history and based upon the history of suffering that they've had in America, um, how, you know, how might it apply to um, African-Americans? And so, and it actually does have like a few exercises in it that are specific to um, African-Americans. Like for instance, there's one one about the strong black um, woman or the strong black man. Mm. Um, and I believe that one's in um, under acceptance. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, so it goes through the six, um, parts of the hexaflex, but, but it looks at, um, it in the eyes of African-Americans. Oh, that's really cool. So I, I, in my head, I thought this was a, like a, um, clinical manual, you know, for professionals, but I'm really excited that it's actually for a general population. Um, so I think that is where we need to put a lot of the, the work, the focus. And so this, does this integrate a lot of those kind of ideas for that model that you've been working on? In other words, what I'm trying to say is this isn't just like relabeled act concepts. Is that correct? 
Well, okay, so it, it's a it's a little of both. Uh-huh. Um, so, like, in order to like culturally tailor an intervention, um, you have to do a couple of things. Um, you would you would deal with structure, like like um, like you know surface structure things, but then you would also deal with deep structure. And so, mm. with the surface structure, um, yes, language has changed. I mean, so it's still the same hexaflex, but of course, I'm not going to call it the hexaflex mm-hmm. for the um, for the client, um, because, uh, you know, those words, you know, they really don't necessarily mean anything, you know, for that client at that time, um, you know, and, and each of the, the, um, the words in regards to like acceptance and some of the other parts of the Exaflex have been changed, um, to something that's meaningful for African-Americans. Um, so that's the surface piece. The deep piece has to do with the fact that, um, like theoretical models, such as the social determinants of health have been implement like have been incorporated into like the poof model mm-hmm. um, as well as like cultural humility frameworks so so um, yeah so there's some there's a little bit of both in, in there oh that's really cool I think that mm-hmm. is really necessary that two part the surface and the deep because um, I think we see a lot of just like just the surface level right uh, but I'm really glad that you're pulling in some of these more um, kind of more grounded social theories into it uh, that have yeah. been around for a long time. Yeah, are super important. Uh, interesting. Okay, cool. So, so like you said, you've been writing this book for a little while, and in the middle of writing this book, we've had um, really just like uh, more than we can name or count here. But the the murder of George Floyd, the murder of Ahmaud Arbery, the murder of Breonna Taylor. Uh, and so many other people that, that that we probably don't even know about, just in the past two or three years, right? Um, and so these deaths, and, and like the subsequent like protests, and just the 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 climate of of the United States right now, did they did they change the trajectory of the book as you were writing it? Well, you know, it's interesting as far as the the timing or the time frames because I was. I was asked to write this book um, right around the time that George Floyd passed away. Mm. So, um, so <laughs> I think it's just interesting because um, I like I I wasn't necessarily like actually like specifically writing this book mm-hmm. until after George Floyd passed. What okay. so what happened was somebody from New Harbinger and and don't ask me how how they got in touch with me because mm-hmm. I, I think some things are really just serendipity. They just mm-hmm. happen because they happen. But um, somebody that I, I don't even know um, got in touch with me from New Harbinger and said, do you know of anybody that's writing any books that um, have to do with, you know, racial trauma or, you know, or that type of topic? Do you know of anybody that's writing those books? And I said, um, well, I'm, I mean, I'm considering writing one, you know, I, I'm considering writing one. This is what I was considering writing it on. Um, but I hadn't like put paper to pen yet. I had, I have a lot of my, um, ideas in my head. And so, um, so that was when I went through the process of actually like doing the, the, um, the, the application process mm-hmm. with New Harbinger and doing the um, 
you know, the book proposal process and all of that. And, um, and so then they accepted the book proposal. Um, but I think, yeah, it really had to do with just the season that um, all of this in- information that I really had already been working on through grants um, or through grant proposals has is now like all of a sudden, oh, now, you know, this is, this is interesting now, you know, <laughs> I mean, it, it wasn't interesting like the year before, but yeah. it is interesting now. Yeah, so. exactly. Yeah. Okay. That's amazing. So, so you really started outlining and, and really fleshing out the, the chapters of the book following yeah. uh, George Floyd. Um, yeah. Okay. Interesting. Does the book reference some of that? Uh, or is it just kind of like in order to be timeless, you know, does it not touch on the recent events? No, actually, it starts with the poem that I wrote, like mm-hmm. uh, about five days after George Floyd passed away. Yeah. So it kind of starts with that. Um, and then, yeah. And so, so yeah, but, but, but definitely, um, definitely there's going to be, you know, elements of authenticity. You know, I have a mm-hmm. number of different, times when I, you know, like really kind of tell my own story, you know, and tell, tell how, how, um, you know, how it is to be like African-American in America. Um, but yeah. Wow. Well, now I can't wait to pick it up for sure (laughs) to get a little bit of that. Oh, thanks. And that poem for sure is going to be amazing. Thanks. You've been doing a lot of work lately too, with an organization called MEND. Mm-hmm. Um, which has also been making kind of big strides in the ACT community as well, the ACBS community. Yeah. Um, I think mostly because of your your involvement. How did you get involved with Mandit? And can you just tell us a little bit more about the organization and, and, and what it does, what its, what its focus is? I'm sure. So that is another organization came that came up right after George Floyd passed away. Um, and so it's interesting. Like, I think we... We're all we're coming at a year mark or a little mm-hmm. bit after a year um, for a lot of these like things that are going on, but um, that also was kind of a serendipitous meeting in the sense that the way that it started, like I, I'm part of a couple of Facebook groups, and one of the Facebook groups I'm a part of is Clinicians of Color in Private Practice, and. You know, that's actually like, I don't know how many people are in that group, but it's thousands, thousands of Mm -hmm. um, therapists all across the country and outside of the country that are in that group. And so it's really active group. So and and I and I'm not like always on Facebook, but I just happened to be on Facebook that day. And there was a person. um, Her name is uh, Corinne uh, Williams, who posted something in Facebook and said, um, wouldn't it be great? if there was an organization that um, would have clinicians um, do some pro bono work with clients um, in their communities or disadvantaged clients in their communities, and in turn, they would get discount services like um, in terms of training. So training Mm -hmm. with um, uh, trauma training, EMDR, other Mm -hmm. things like that. And so that's all she just put. She put, wouldn't that be nice? Mm-hmm. Um, and it was almost a thousand, maybe more people that responded to that link. And and along with them was me. I, I responded. I said, 
yeah, that would be amazing. And I could do the act piece. You know, I would love to help you know more about act, you know. And um, so we we met, me and Corinne, we met on a um, a one day and we met by Zoom and we immediately clicked like, and I don't, I don't click that, you know, I'm not that kind of person that just clicks with people like right away, but we immediately clicked. We had a lot in common and, and I wanted to, um, you know, be a part of like whatever the volunteer work was necessary in order to help her. So, um, you know, like, and, and it's interesting because, um, ACBS was really like in there in the very beginning of when Corinne was starting to think about how to start this um, nonprofit organization. So now it's a full, a full, full, um, fully a um, uh, nonprofit. But but before she, you know, she was just even like in the process of thinking about it. Um, so yeah, so that's that's kind of how it evolved. And then like I I was able to uh, again, it was some serendipitous thing where I just I put th- something out on the um, ACBS listserv. And I just said, you know, um, I know somebody who is, you know, trying to start this program. Um, is, is is there anybody that might be interested in it? And there were a number of people that um, that responded. And so it kind of, it kind of uh, grew from there. And so now, now we have a number of um, ACT um, peer review trainers, and, and non-peer review trainers mm-hmm. that are doing consultation with MEND um, participants on ACT. Um, and we also do um, some trainings just like specifically for the, for the MEND members um, once or twice a year. Um, and so, yeah, this, it's, it's, it's grown. It's been really like really great experience. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, we'll put a link in for the MEND website on the show notes here. So that's wonderful. Yeah. Um, yeah, really great initiative. I love it. Okay. So let's let's talk a little bit more about like I guess the future of psychotherapy here. You know, with with, with your book coming out, and some of these really uh, cool programs that are helping clinicians of color, you know, become trained in these evidence based uh, sciences, and then just like the the lens of recognition kind of being applied to these disadvantaged communities where mm-hmm. before they were just completely overlooked and really not, not, not looked at at all. Um, there's a change happening, but it's very slow. Right. What do, you, what do you think the future of psychotherapy in general looks like? And, and maybe also the future of psychotherapy in, in regards to communities of color looks like. Right. Um, well, I hope, I mean, and I, I don't know what it actually is going to look like, but what my hope is, is that the momentum will continue from George Floyd's um, death, you know, and, and there are places, you know, all across the country that are attempting to, um, like, have anti-racist agendas and attempting to um, to to work at this um diversity, equity, and inclusion um, more readily. Um, but but like you said, I mean, it's slow going because we have a long history of um, traditionalism. We have a long history of, um, you know, just uh, 
kind of a, a Eurocentric way of, of, of looking at things. We have a long history of, um, of practices that um, have been become built on something other than um, equity. So, you know, to be honest, I don't know exactly what the, what the future looks like. I mean, my hope is that the future um, will look brighter, but I mean, one can't ever say, um, I mean, definitely there's a, 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 a definite racist history in regards to psychotherapy and in regards to psychology. Um, you know, there's definitely, um, you know, that history that, so I think that it really has to do with whether we will, as a group, acknowledge that history and embrace it and want to learn from it humbly and move on mm. or not. Um, so it really has to do with that. Yeah. So you're hoping that there will be kind of like a deliberate dismantling of, of some of these really terrible um, structural pieces right. that, that um, hinder pretty much every aspect of society and especially healthcare uh, and mental health care. Yeah, I think, I think that's what needs to happen. We'll see if it is going to happen. Uh, but, it, but if it is going to happen, it's going to happen uh, through people like yourself and uh, others leading the way. So very hopeful as well that we will see some changes uh, long term. Um, that was all the questions that I had. Okay. Okay. <laughs> uh, it's been a pleasure kind of talking to you. Is there anything yeah. else? Anything else like uh, that you want to kind of talk about maybe that you're doing or where people can find your work or connect to you, feel free to uh, just kind of point, point people wherever you want to point them. Well, sure. I mean, if, if you like to know more about my work there, I have a couple of websites. So um, one website is uh, www.drjspain.com. And then the second website has to do with the poof model. So that's uh, www.poof, P-O-O-F, and then one of those lines, not the underscore, but the other little line. Like a hyphen? Yeah, hyphen. And then um, pulling out a fire, all, all, um, all like one word. So poof um, hyphen pulling out a fire.com. Okay. So in yeah, in those two areas, you can um, learn more about some of these things. And of course, um, if, if you're interested in being a part of MEND, um, then you can go to um, www.mendminds, M-E-N-D-M-I-N-D-S um, dot org, O-R-G. Yeah, wonderful. I'll put links to all those in the show notes so people can click on them nice and easily. Uh Excellent. Well, I wish you the best of luck in your new jobs. Mm -hmm. You're starting here in, in, have you started already or are you starting? I started soon? two weeks ago. Okay. Yes. And I'm excited about it. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> Excellent. I know it's kind of nerve, nerve wracking sometimes when we start a new job, especially when we move across the entire country. To yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, thank you very much, uh, Dr. Payne. It's been a pleasure um, speaking with you today. And also it's been a pleasure working with you oh, on, thank these, on you. these very yeah. small things that we do uh, for ACBS. 
Yeah, well, I, I definitely enjoy working with you. You're just, you're a wonderful hard worker and, you, you know, you're doing a lot for ACBS, so. <laughs> well, I appreciate it. Thank you very much. Um, have a good rest of the weekend. Yeah, you too. Thanks All so right. much. Bye-bye.